Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Choking Hazard podcast. We've got a great episode planned for you today. Today, we're getting the chance to sit down with Rob from the McDojo Life. The McDojo Life is a YouTube and Instagram channel. He's got tons of different platforms going on right now. And we're going to be talking about a huge range of different topics that are happening within the martial arts community, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Karate, all sorts of things. It's going to be an amazing conversation. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you want to keep seeing more great guests, athletes, coaches, technique breakdowns, and all sorts of other stuff, make sure you subscribe and don't forget to like our page and share it with your friends. We really do appreciate the support and we want to keep this channel going as long as possible. Today's episode is sponsored by the Spirit Leaf Waterdown located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis brand, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf Waterdown. They're going to be able to help you out with all your THC and CBD products and needs that you need. Just make sure you like us on Instagram and them on Instagram, and you're going to save money every single time you go there. Just remember that Spirit Leaf Waterdown located in 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Enjoy the show, and we'll see you soon on the map. A big double Over here's the ARs, and then here's the Glock that goes with the pumps. Um, <laughs> got to accessorize. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are back for another special edition of the Choking Hazard podcast, and we have a great guest with us today. He is the host of the McDojo Life Instagram page. We And if you have seen anything about fake martial arts, stupidity on the mats, or you just kind of don't have a question, you have a question, you want to question it, this is the guy we talked to, and it, none other than yourself, sir. Thank you for joining us today. What up, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate y'all letting me hop on and talk shop. I'm all about that life. Absolutely. Like, so, I mean, like, let, let's kind of get break. Like, we just kind of got into this whole thing. And I mean, like, just like, what is going on in the world? Like, is it just some people just like have these beliefs that they just want to work with different people or just they think that their stuff works or like, what's going on? <laughs> um, I think at the end of the day, martial arts in itself is extremely convoluted and difficult to understand if you've never trained it. It'd be very similar to me if I'm a mechanic and I say, look, and I start naming off like the alternator, the starter, the average person who's never looked at a car is going to go just nod their head and be like, okay, I, I have no clue what those things mean. But a mechanic and other mechanics will know exactly what it means. And martial arts, it's full of that. I mean, Sifu, Sensei, Coach, Professor, all these shits really mean the same thing. But if I were to learn one from one person, the other ones might not make any sense to me. Um, and so the average person starting in the martial arts, all they really have is movies, pop culture, and what they see in the ring. And that's the only real basis they have to understand how martial arts works. And so the problem also with that is the martial arts industry in itself is very all-consuming. It very much is eating itself alive all the time. If you're not doing what I do, then you suck. If you're not in the art that I do, then you're terrible. Like what people forget is people join martial arts for a lot of different reasons. And what happens is, is that people turn other people away from the art they're doing because of selfish reasons. They go, well, we're a fighting school. And that's the only reason you're ever going to learn martial arts is just for that. What about the fucking dude whose doctor just told him that he needed to lose 35 pounds? This is something that's always interest him. 75% of people who join martial arts never compete a day in their life. And then they just go, you know what, this is a hardcore school. And he goes, that's not what I'm looking for. They go, well, fuck off. Rather than saying, well, what are your goals? How can we help you achieve them? And let's use martial arts as, 
as the catalyst to help you get to where you want to be. That's a good coach. The problem is, is there's not a lot of those. There's a lot of ego, and that is very harmful, not only to practitioners, but upcoming students, which in the business, we would call them leads. Um, it hurts your retention, also a business term in martial arts. It hurts you, and it hurts you personally. I mean, the less students you have in your facility, the less you can use that to better yourself as a coach with more experience to be able to say, you know what, this guy has cerebral palsy, so he's not going to be a fighter, but God damn it, I'm going to learn how to make him better at whatever his goals are. And that'll be a challenge for a coach, making the coach better rather than saying, you know what, we're not for you. Um, those are, those are issues. Those are major issues that we ignore in the industry. It's fascinating to me. I fucking love this job. So like, tell us a little bit about yourself though, a little, um, how did, so like, what's your kind of background, like in martial arts and like the martial arts industry and like, what, what's kind of your journey and how did you end up getting here today? I got you. Um, well, my name's Rob. Uh, I like long walks on the beach. Um, I'm, Im an Aries. <laughs> a AR 15s, <laughs> Glocks on the beach. I'm on the beach right now. Glocks on the beach, well, sex on the beach. I'm, I'm, I'm about all that. Um, but no, all I, the above I, I, at the same time. <laughs> Well, April will mark 25 years in the industry. I started when I was 12 years old. Um, I am a third degree black belt in karate, uh, which was like a freestyle karate. So basically it was like glorified kickboxing. They just called karate because we never did a kata. Um, I'm a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm a third degree black belt in something called Lissa Jodo, which is a weapon system not many have heard of. Basically just means I'm good at nunchucks. Uh, six and no amateur boxer, four and two amateur kickboxer. I was on international kickboxing team for two years called Team Full Circle, where we traveled internationally and did sport martial arts tournaments and uh, tournament style kickboxing, which I don't ever put those on the record because, I mean, who the fuck adds all that up? Um, and then I've been doing martial arts business consulting for about a decade, running McDojo Life Now in April will mark exactly a decade. And then I uh, ran a martial arts school for four years. I've been a striking coach. Uh, I think I was a striking coach for about six years. Um, and so I've been at it for a while. I've, I've been able to grow up in this industry starting when I was a kid. So I've worn a lot of hats over the years. And I think it's helped me really understand the industry because I started so young. And most people who start that young don't just keep going. And so I feel very fortunate to have that experience. And I think it helps me in this job. So kind of like, how did you kind of like get into this? Obviously, how did like even McDojo Life start? Was it one of those things where you know, you, you, you wanted to start a YouTube channel, you wanted to start an Instagram page and or just manifested into what it is today. Uh, well, technically, I started doing McDojo Life based off a conversation I had with a day two student. So I was a program director at a jiu-jitsu academy and I was their striking coach at the time and I also was helping run their kids program. But primarily, I was behind the desk at that time. And my instructor at the time called and he said, hey, man, I'm not going to be able to make it in. Would you do me a favor and cover class, which he never called out sick. So I know for a fact that dude was sick. So I was like, not a problem. I taught him, uh, you know, basic shit. I taught him arm bar from the guard, triangle choke from the guard and transition to how to get from one to the other. Um, and then we sparred for the rest of the class. It was a noon class. So everybody who was there either was on like lunch and they had to run back. But most of the dudes were self-employed and had time. So we'd always shoot the shit, chit chat. And the subject of McDojos had come up. And for anybody who doesn't know, that term has been around a lot longer than I've been alive. Um, but the, ter the term McDojo came up and we talked about that for a while. Everyone left except for the guy who was his second class ever. And he pulled me back to the side and he said, hey, man, I'm a little embarrassed. You guys were talking about something. I don't know what that means. He goes, what's a McDojo? 
And then I explained to him now what have kind of become the base rules for what I consider a McDojo. And he asked a simple question. If I never had this conversation, I would have never started. He said, why doesn't anybody do anything about that? And I was like, huh, good fucking question. I was like, what did we have at the time? Well, at the time, all we had was Bullshito. And so I researched and I looked and basically what Bullshito was at the time was just a forum for people to, to argue and to jerk each other off. I it really I was. That. I think I remember, I remember Bullshito. Yeah. Aaron's, yeah, Bullshito's Aaron's still jerk- around. It's still Aaron's around. Jerked off many a many a people on that website. Yeah, man. It's like, oh, you do jujitsu. Oh, I love it. Oh, you too. Oh, but it's like <laughs> the problem. Is, oh, oh man, we all skiing. do. It's like, but the thing is, it's like if that's going to be what what exactly is what we're doing? If all we're doing is arguing over petty, stupid shit, how can you grow as an industry? You know, I went to Shot Show three years ago, first time ever going. And SHOT Show is this giant expo for firearms. I mean, you can get absolutely everything there. I mean, sights, uh, handles, triggers, everything, right? You want a missile? You could probably get it at SHOT Show. But the thing <laughs> is, it's like, when, if, you, if you go to SHOT Show, they tell you you're not going to be able to stop and talk to everyone at every booth because of how big it is. And that is very true. It would be almost impossible. And it lasts for like a week. And so I'm walking around SHOT Show, and I had this like really... I guess, life-changing thought that made me change the direction of how I do what I do now. I went to the martial arts super show several times and I can walk around the martial arts super show in 10 minutes, easy. Stop, talk to everybody, talk to the next person, have a couple conversations and move on. I'll be done with everything I could possibly do there in a day. That lasts also a week. Now, obviously they have seminars and things like that, but I have this like thought. Martial arts has been around longer than firearms, just a fact. So why isn't the martial arts industry bigger than the gun industry? And I had the realization that in the gun industry, there is a fuckload of infighting. Don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of infighting. But at the end of the day, whenever something comes into the ether to challenge the Second Amendment, they all come together and fight, like all of them, all at once. The martial arts industry, on the other hand, has no problem allowing one of their own to be eaten alive. They go, oh, Taekwondo isn't doing too good. Good. I hope you fail. So true. Oh man, like, <laughs> so true. you know, it's, oh man, you do, you do karate. I'm sorry. You know what, like what people I'm fail so- to realize is that we're all, I'll just give you the analogy. Um, and maybe it'll give you a more of an idea of why I do what I do. Let's imagine martial arts is a high rise building and the building is called martial arts. And when you walk into the building, every floor is dedicated to a different martial art karate's on floor one taekwondo's on floor two i mean fuck aikido's on like floor 27 you know it's it, it the button sticks a little bit but we still let them in the building you know what i'm talking about <laughs> but we go and we check in every day at the front desk and we go i'm gonna go to jujitsu okay cool go right on up. but every day we walk in we look over and there's some douchebag trying to set the building on fire the martial arts industry right now how they particularly perceive that issue is if I just worry about me and worry about my students, then everything will be okay. I don't need to worry about anybody else. Fuck them. Nobody else matters. We'll just worry about us. The problem is, is when you wor- don't worry about the guy trying to set the building on fire, he eventually will succeed with you and everybody else in it. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully by changing the definition of what a McDojo is, and giving everybody a singular idea of what that word really means and the real issues and the real problems that people will stop arguing over subjective bullshit. 
People argue all the time, as an example, about how long it takes to get a black belt. BJ Penn got his black belt in three years. Does that not count? Oh, well, it doesn't count because he's in jujitsu. Well, fuck you then. That's a guideline. That's not a rule then. It's a guideline. So that way we, we can take that off the table. It no longer counts. All right. Well, they charge too much. To who? To who? Price is subjective to the individual. If it's too much for you, it doesn't mean it's too much for someone else. We don't look at Lamborghinis and go, man, Lamborghini, what a piece of shit. <laughs> they charge so much. What a ripoff. Like, no, you look at that as perceived value. The Lamborghini has cost that much because of the perceived value of what you think it should cost. And so, if, well, if we can't argue about belts and how long it takes, because that's not going to be the same with any art, and we can't argue about price, then what's left to argue? Because the martial arts industry loves to argue. Well, why don't we start talking about the ridiculous amount of pedophiles in the martial arts industry that no one seems to talk about? You'll bitch and whine about how long it takes that Taekwondo guy to get his black belt, but you'll forget that there's a guy in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu named David Arnbeck who molested a 15-year-old girl in his house. But sometimes people are too busy sucking off Jiu-Jitsu to remember that even Jiu-Jitsu has issues like any other art. Or how about the term Crianche? How about the term Crianche? How, how culty is that shit when you call someone a trader who simply goes to someone else's seminar for a day? Or they go out of town and train at a different facility because that happens to be in town. Like, what? Like, you can't tell me what to do. I, I'm paying you for a service, motherfucker. Like, I'm paying you money. You provide me a service. That's how this works. Like, if you don't like that, I'd never go to my barber and be like, yo, dude, I'm sorry. I had to get a haircut somewhere else. Are we cool? Like, traitor. No. Traitor, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> get out. Get out. The crown shit. That's maybe one of my one of my favorite videos online is like of Health Gracie of uh, uh when uh, bj penn left because he, he let he was trained with the gracies at the time and then he went to train like nobu now in brazil and it's like well what are your thoughts on uh bj penn you know fighting henzo gracie right he's like traitor motherfucker <laughs> traitor motherfucker snake in the grass <laughs> you know we, we called that something back in the 70s what was that oh yes a cult when the leader <laughs> is telling you to not do something that would purposely better you that's a cult. When it's all about the leader and it's not about the followers, you have now entered the cult world. And so like nobody's exempt from this, by the way, you can have cults of anything. And as a matter of fact, the root word of culture is cult. Mm -hmm. And so you have cults of all kinds of things. The difference is in a culture, it's about the masses. It's about all the little people and us coming together as a team to make something happen for the individuals. When you take away the your part, there is no more. You are, it's all about the cult. It's all about the leader. It's all about trying to make him feel better about himself. Oh, you you know, train there. You cannot do that. You you train with me. That is it. They they know good. Like you know, everybody shit. has different experiences. You know, everybody can provide you with something, even if it's what not to do. But a good coach will give a damn about your goal and how to make you better as an individual. And sometimes that just simply means that you don't provide Muay Thai at your school. Someone else does over here. So they cross train there. That doesn't make them a traitor. You know, that makes them smart to try to better themselves in an industry that they appeared to come to, to better themselves. Mm -hmm. um, it, the whole thing's fascinating to me. I don't, I don't know. I get pumped up about this shit. Aaron's also a traitor motherfucker. I couldn't drive an hour anymore to, to go to one club across Toronto traffic. So that's why. So he, so he took the knife and put it right into his professor's back. It's exactly but what I also, but again, like, the whole thing was like, I explained my situation. And again, me and my professor were 
cool at the time too. It doesn't matter. And we're still cool today, but like, and that's the one thing is like, I, I don't know if it's gotten any better. I think like the, the culture wants to say, yeah, it's gotten better, but it's still that it's still there. You still see. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is for sure. I find, uh, I find it's, it's not as like open out in the open. It's almost like, it's like closet racism almost. It's like everybody's, everybody is like, everybody's like, you know, like they're just, just not out in the open. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's a very strange thing. Like one thing that I've noticed is like every time I talk about like the base rules of what I do and because I think that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if you want a business to run well, you have to put systems in place. Systems and policies run good business, no matter what the business is. Um, you don't allow the person to run the business. You allow, allow the policy to run the business. And all the person does is enforce the policy. And so, like, for instance, in the United States, we're supposed to be a republic, which is governed by law. And then we vote the people in place, but we also vote on the law. The law is supposed to be what governs the land, not the dickhead in charge, because when that happens, you have a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. See, dictatorship, dickhead in charge. Um, and so when it comes down to like martial arts and what I do, I could like I could poke fun at the guy who's training in the park by himself, but that's not the point. I could poke fun of the, of the people, the class that isn't very good, but that's not the point. Like, again, skill level is also subjective. Like, the best person in town is not going to be the best person in the world. Usually, that's not how it works. The best person in your, your city might not be the best person in your state. And so, skill is very subjective to the people who are joining. And so, when people start poking fun at people just based on skill, you're, you'd have a long list. There is no best. Best does not exist. Any given Sunday is always a thing, right? We can look at track records and we can say, based off track records, I can say Gordon Ryan's probably the greatest at jujitsu at this very moment, like based on track records, yeah. right? But he himself, when he loses, does that mean that he's not the greatest anymore? No, that's not how that works. Anderson Silva taught a really shitty knife defense one time. I mean, absolutely one of the worst knife defenses I'd ever seen in my life. I posted about it. Does that mean that he's not so good at martial arts? Of course he is. He beat my ass. He beat a lot of people's ass. Even still today would fuck up a lot of people. So skill is subjective as well. I think that if we focus our, our group intent at trying to kick out the real problems, like the frauds, like real frauds, people who actually are committing legal fraud, people who are sexually abusing people, people who are molesting children, people who are putting their students' lives really at risk and in danger, if we all focus on that and stop giving a fuck that this Taekwondo black belt who's eight got his black belt in two years, like who gives a shit? Let's be honest. Like Taylor Lautner got his black belt as a child. Taylor Lautner grows up to be a movie star. Taylor Lautner affects how many thousands of kids who watch Twilight who learn about him, find out he did martial arts, and then they join martial arts. Like Bruce Lee himself was not a prize fighter. That is a fact. That's not a diss on Bruce Lee. It's just a statistical fact that he had zero prize fights. And so if that's the case, does that mean that he wasn't a real martial artist, even though he affected hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to join martial arts? How about the Ninja Turtles? These motherfuckers didn't even exist. And how many people did they affect? That's my, that's my number one influence in martial arts is Donatello. <laughs> you know, so like, 
what are we really arguing about that we should be complaining about? We should be doing stuff about. And that's why I do what I do. I'm trying to focus all of that negative energy into at least the negative energy that will affect the industry in a positive way, you know? Well, I think what you like, and the way you, you drowned it out pretty specifically of like what you're trying to say. And I, I appreciate that because now I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand right now. It's not just about picking on certain things, especially when you talk about skill development, because again, skill is so important because you can only be so skillful in a certain area. And there's always somebody better than you in another area, mm-hmm. but especially what you're saying is like the real issues, the real things at play. So like, how do you kind of find out about this stuff? Do you do like your own investigative journalism or is it like people send you stuff and then you investigate a little bit more? You're like, it's, you're it's like the, the Chris Hansen of like Dateline when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> sit down, oh, have a seat, have hey, a seat here. No, no, go ahead and have a seat. Have a, hey, yes, have have a seat. A, why did you bring uh, nunchucks and condoms? I'm a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of both. Like when I first started, it had to be 100% all footwork for me because no one knew what I was doing. I like, had a couple hundred followers when I first started and all those people just happened to be people that knew me. Yeah. Um, and then as time went on, um, I started learning a lot, just like any other martial art, there's lineage. And lineage is a real good way to find out where something came from, who else knows it. Like, so if you find one fraud, well, that fraud learned martial arts from someone so then you start digging and you find out, oh, fuck, like George Dillman exists. Who's George Dillman? Holy crap. He's got an international organization of people who believe they can knock people out with their mind. <laughs> That's crazy. You go to his website. Next thing you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of names of people who learn and study and teach under him. And under each one of those people is their students and so on and so on. So that was the beginning. And then, you know, you start to like learn about certain arts or styles that have these very odd things about them. Like uh, I'll I'll talk about the Bujinkan is one of them, right? Um, And so one of the things in the Bujinkan that caught my eye, which was a part of like the investigative journalism, is something called the Saki test, which is their Godon test or their fifth degree black belt test. And when I started looking into that particular art, I was like, oh, well, I mean, it's fucking weird, but I mean, I don't see any real major issues that scratch any of the rules that I had. But then when I found out about the Godon test, that made me really look because they, the Saki test, Saki in this particular term means killing intent. And so what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get on your knees in front of your peers while all, all those other people are also there for their fifth degree black belt test. You're in a seiza position on your knees while the instructor has a shinai, which is a, a bamboo sword for anyone who doesn't know. Then they graze it over their head and you're supposed to sense their killing intent, quite literally by definition, what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to rely on your eyesight. You're not supposed to hear what they're doing. You're not even supposed to feel what you're doing. You're supposed to, by their definition, use a sixth sense to feel when they're going to hit you. And then you're supposed to dodge it and get out of the way before they hit you on the head with a stick. Now, where I come from, they call that bullshit. Why is that bullshit? It's because (laughs) if I were to do that test to anyone, I'm hitting you on the head 10 out of 10 times. But the way that they do the test is they use it as a way to weed out the people who are the believers and the ones who are not. Because what better way to get someone involved in my cult than make them do this absolute horseshit and prove themselves in front of their peers that they're devout. Almost every cult does this. And so upon researching that, I start learning about like 
the, the particular techniques that they do. And I find out that there is no real curriculum. And so when there's no curriculum, there is no standard. Then I find out that the Hatsumi, who is the, the gentleman who founded it, he, he started off with the standard 10 degrees, right? 10th degree black belt's the highest. And he was the guy, of course, because he's the founder. But then after that, somewhere along the line, he was like, you know what? Fuck that. We're going to do 12 degrees. And then he did that, right? <laughs> and then let's just add a couple of degrees because yeah, he's it. like, that's you know, why. Do, right? fuck it. In all honesty, we all know what the real reason behind that would be is I can charge you more for longer, um, charge you for testing, charge you for this, charge you for that. And then after that, he's like, you know what? 12 degrees. Fuck that. You know, it'd be better. 15 degrees. So now you could literally be a 15th degree black belt in this nonsensical art to basically dress up in this cosplay to pretend to be a ninja, even though the research has shown that ninjutsu itself was a job, not a set group of techniques. And so then you get the Budo Taijutsu and you get all the, the different schools of ninjutsu. And it's, it's absolute dog shit. Now, some of it's okay, right? Obviously, like anything else, the sun shines on a frog's ass from time to time, but most of it complete made up nonsense. But if you were to talk to anybody in that organization and you were to bring to light that, you know, you can't sense someone's going to hit you in the head. Like if you're going to really do that test, I would do the test like this. Like, look, I'm going to follow you sometime this week. I'm not going to tell you what day it is, but sometime this week, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to pop out from nowhere. I'm going to crack you in the head with this fucking stick. And if you dodge it, all right, I'll give you your fifth degree black belt. All right. But they don't do that. Right. Because it's a setup nonsensical test. Um, but I tell you, man, like I went to a Bujang Khan school for our documentary and kind of getting back to your point of like um, investigative journalism. When I asked the 15th degree black belt who happened to be there, if we could perform the test, they're like, oh, no, we can't. We can't do that. <laughs> it's like, why not? Like, you can or you can't. Like, if I went into a, like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school, I was like, hey, man, can you show me that arm bar? They'd be like, yeah. <laughs> if I was like, can we roll? They'd be like, of course. And then they'd fuck me up. <laughs> but like, because <laughs> I'm mediocre. But like, the idea is, is that if you can't apply and you can't show, then it's make-believe. It's a fantasy. And that's cool. But call it that. Don't call it real. Um, but yeah, now that it's grown, I don't have to do nearly as much investigative journalism, which I still do plenty of, but I do have a lot of people who do support what I do, which I'm extremely grateful for. And I get sent so many clips that at one point, it was like two years ago, I made the attempt to get to the bottom of my DMs and I watched an entire movie while I was scrolling with my thumb, just doing this, just scrolling with my thumb, watching the movie. And I never got to the bottom of my DMs. <laughs> wow. That is bananas. So I have to ask, you know, there's so many videos you've probably seen, stuff people just sending you all sorts of senseless craziness that you've probably seen over the years. What are some of the things that stand out now? What's what's just some of the dumbest shit you've ever seen in like the last like 10 years when it comes when it comes to just overall martial arts? Um, I would say probably the dumbest shit I've seen, and like th this might. I, this is probably gonna hurt my numbers, but I don't give a fuck. The dumbest shit that I've seen is people's real lack of empathy. It is almost it like it gave me a, like a depression for a while, like because martial arts has been my life since I was a kid. It changed my life, and I know that that's a cliche, but it's the truth. Like it was, I was I was born with a cleft palate. I was picked on heavily as a child. I was beaten so bad by a group of six kids in middle school for five minutes while two teachers watched. I still have pencil lead in my fucking finger from getting stabbed during that jumping, you know, and it, it made me 
a better person because I realize that I don't have to be this victim of my circumstance. I don't have to be the person with the fucking scars on my face. I can be more than that. That doesn't have to define who I am. And so being on the mat has been this mo the most beautiful, like, I guess you could say moment of truth that you can ever have with yourself or another human being. You cannot lie on the mat. There is no lying when you fight another human being. You either know what you're doing or you don't. You're either better than them or you aren't. You either have cardio or you don't. You either put in the work or you didn't. You cannot lie in that moment. And who you are as a person comes out when you fight another person. If you're a sneaky individual, you're going to be sneaky when you fight somebody. If you're a very direct person, you're going to be a very direct fighter. Who you are comes out. And so when I see these fucking assholes who take the martial arts industry and they try to lie their way through it, or they try to take advantage of people, they quite literally, in my opinion, are ruining one of the last true bastions of honesty that we have in the world other than the fucking toilet, right? I mean, we sitting on the toilet. That's my sanctuary. We're good. Now probably always exists in some way or another, but the martial arts industry gives you something that can make you better through trial and error, through failure, through honesty. And so I really hope that at the end of the day, what I'm doing will make some sort of positive impact in the culture. And so when I see the people's lack of empathy about giving a fuck about like how many people make a joke about an adult kicking the living shit out of a child, like that's sad to me. And you call yourself a, a fucking good person. Like people use the internet as some type of therapy for themselves. They, they feel better about themselves when they can pick on someone. They feel better about themselves when they can down another human being. It's like the same people who would make fun of somebody who works at a fucking McDonald's or make, give the waiter a hard time. And that is the most egregious shit that I see is I post a story and I say, look, man, this child's being abused by this person. And then people find it somewhat gratifying to themselves to make fun of that situation. I'll never understand that. I will never quite get that mentality because that's not how I'm wired. Um, but I, I think that's probably the most egregious shit that I see. Um, I have a question because like I, and I don't even know if you maybe it got resolved because I know you were going back and forth with that Detroit uh, dust gun. <laughs> um, yeah. And obviously, again, you're, you're trained in firearms. You have, again, training within weapons. And when you see, obviously, him doing firearm-based training and calling it martial arts or calling this an actual system, like... Do you think this is actually real or is this like, if this is like filming now or like, I don't so, know. So a lot of people have asked that question. So a couple of things that people might not necessarily know about Dale Brown, who is the guy who runs Detroit dust is one, he's been doing this for decades. This is not new just because he's famous now online. Doesn't mean that he was famous before a vice about 15 years ago, did a documentary about him well before he was famous. Like none of this is like a, an act for him. Um, I will say this, I posted a video on my TikTok. When I had posted this video on my TikTok, it was one of the first videos I actually was calling Dale Brown out, like any of the hundreds of other people I've called out over the years. Um, and when I posted this video, it went viral. And I mean, like the most viral video I had ever done in my life. And this was before he was like famous. I actually think accidentally <laughs> wasn't the intent that I had pushed him into like the stratosphere <laughs> like without pushing me into it i was like motherfucker like i need this dickhead famous and i need good shit like damn and so like that video right now on my tiktok has 17 million views wow 17 million and i guarantee you that's more than 
almost anything that he's put out. But when it comes down to it, I call them out on it. And so it was his daughter. Um, and, and then he has a, one of his instructors pointing a firearm at his daughter. She moves her head offline, does not grab the firearm in any way before she moves her head offline, then grabs the firearm after the fact and disarms this what seems to be either an older teenager or younger adult. That all is bullshit, 100%. And when I posted it out, I posted and tagged him. I was like, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. This is ridiculous. This is going to get a child killed. This false sense of security for an adult is a lot different than a false sense of security for a child. Mm -hmm. False sense of security for an adult is, I think I might be able to do this, but I still have enough experience to know that I'll probably still fucking die if I try it. A child, what's going to happen is they're going to have homies later on in life who are going to see that video who are also children, maybe even teenagers at the time and say, prove it, pull out a real fucking gun or a BB gun. And she maybe even loses her eye or her life because she's truly been brainwashed since being a child to believe that this bullshit will work. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that is terrifying to me. That's like the thing I do not want. I want to stop that from happening. Um, Dale Brown's not a dumb man. He's just an arrogant man. Uh, If I had to guess, I would say probably a narcissist. Um, and so when I look at the, the way that he handled it, I say business-wise, fucking genius. He stopped all comments from being able to be made on any of his Instagram posts. He'll delete any negative comments and he'll block anybody who speaks out or challenges him. If you look at some of his YouTube videos, he'll have millions of views on some of his YouTube videos, but only 10 comments. You know what that tells me? <laughs> that this fucking dude went through and, it, and individually deleted each one of those fucking negative comments. I don't know how much t- time this guy has on his hands. That's what well, I want. At this know. point, he's a management team. Like he even says, like if you look at his Instagram page, which I'm blocked by, uh, but if you look <laughs> on his Instagram, go figure, I had that coming. Um, on his Instagram page, it says managed by. So he has a management company who's the reason why he, you see him with Snoop Dogg, you see him with other fighters. Yeah. And other people don't give a fuck about people's safety. Let's just be honest. They could give two fucks less that this guy's a con artist. All they see is dollars. They see, oh, this guy's got 2 million followers on YouTube. I don't. I want that. You know, and so they'll, they'll use him up. But luckily, with the work that not only myself have done, but a lot of other people in the industry have done by calling him out and calling him a fraud, that he is now the international face of incompetence. Like, I, here's how bad Dale Brown is at what he does. He's so bad that I, I was scrolling through Instagram one day and a group dedicated to walking, walking. It's a walking group. And they used him as a meme for how not to walk. Like, that's <laughs> how much of a fucking fraud that dude is. Like, <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. How do, you, how do you fuck up walking? That's exactly. what I want Exactly, <laughs> exactly. How do you fuck that up? Apparently you can, apparently. <laughs> You're Dale Brown. Who was the UFC fighter who had Dale Brown in his corner? I was like, what the Buckley. fuck is... Oh, yeah, but that actually That happened. was very telling too, though. That was extremely telling because when Buckley won his fight, he brought, he was yeah. like, Dale, come over. And he pulled him over during the post-fight interview in the ring. And he thanked him for the views. Watch the post-fight interview. What's the first thing he thanks him for? He wasn't like, thank you so much for the training. The training, exactly. He did it for clout. And Dale, on the other hand, gets to say that, hey, I cornered a UFC fighter. Yeah, but I'm legit. Like, Look at me. Yeah, exactly. But the honest truth is, is that when it comes down to it, I have offered this. And this still stands, by the way. I've not changed my mind about this whatsoever. One, I'm not a moron. People ask me to go to his facility. I'm not fucking stupid. Do you know how many laws that I could possibly be breaking by doing that? One, he does not have to allow me to film. 
That's something to keep in mind. He does not have to allow that. Two, if he does allow me to film, I might not necessarily be able to legally post it if he does not give me permission because yeah. it's his likeness and his, his business. He can hit me for trespassing before I walk in. So I could take all this money, walk up, and he could be like, you could leave, and I could have wasted all that money. He could hit me for trespassing anytime I'm in his building for any reason whatsoever. It's his business. He can say, you could leave now, and then that's a waste. If I get hurt or if someone else gets hurt, lawsuits could fly very quickly and could be very easily construed as something that is a premeditated crime. Did you go there to train or did you go there to hurt someone? Well, how did I word it online? Because that'll be easy for a lawyer to see and twist that around and all of a sudden I get sued because someone got hurt. It is all very convoluted. So I offered this to Dale and it still stands. I would pay for his flight. I'd pay for his hotel. I'd pay for his food. For him to come to a neutral facility where me, him, and subject matter experts scientifically put his stuff to the test. I'm talking Navy SEALs. I'm talking firearms experts. I'm talking MMA fighters, self-defense experts, and not just ones who just agree with me. I would be more than happy for him to bring his experts as well, but only him from his facility. Because you have to remember Whenever you go to someone else's facility, you're going into a bee's nest. So I myself go in his facility and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by what, 15 of his other students, 20 of his other students, all who all agree with his opinion. I don't want that. I want subject matters, experts on both sides of the aisle and let's scientifically go through each one of the techniques that I have called out. For instance, my personal favorite is him dodging a bullet. Can I give you a quick demonstration of that magic trick and how that actually works and why people believe it? Sure, love to see it. All right, so this is this is my friend. This is Mr. Glock. Mr. Glock is very empty. Mr. Glock is very safe right now, all right? So in most of his gun disarms, what he does is he has the person point the firearm at his head, and he says the words, which is very important. I lived with a magician for two years, which is how I know this trick. He has the gun pointed at the person's head, and he says, when you see me move, pull the trigger. What he's done is he's implanted the thought of your reaction. He has told you how to react. And anybody, any person at all would probably follow that because this is very standard in the martial arts industry. When I arm bar, hey, do me a favor. Whenever you feel this, I want you to tap. I didn't say whenever you feel this, I want you to try to escape. I said, whenever you feel this, I want you to tap. So what's the person's mind going to do? All right, I'm ready to tap. Well, it's the same thing when the firearms point. So whenever the firearms point, he says, hey, I want you to pull the trigger when you see me move. Their arm is completely extended. As soon as he moves, they pull the trigger. Now, if you were to change that, I can fool probably 90% of people with that bullshit. I can make 90% of people believe that I have literally dodged a bullet and that it's possible. If you just change the wording or change the person doing it, things change drastically. For instance, whenever somebody has a firearm and you start grabbing for the firearm, a very natural response out of almost anyone is to pull the firearm to your chest. Why? Because I don't want you to grab the thing that will get me killed. I have the gun, you don't. If you have the gun and I don't, I die. If I have the gun and you don't, you die. So as soon as someone starts grabbing for that firearm, the most natural thing ever is people to pull it to their chest, right? So in Dale Brown's videos, he talks about if the firearm is pointed at you to take the gun out of battery by pulling the slide back, right? Yeah. Gun technically doesn't fire. Well, he also says the same advice that don't leave a round chambered. Okay, well, let's let's play that game. All right, so no rounds chambered. 
Guns pointed at Dale Brown's chest. He takes the gun out of battery. What's the natural response going to be for somebody who actually wants to hold on to the firearm? Pull it back. Pull back Guess pull what back. you just did? You racked it for me, dumbass. Now you're dead. <laughs> so this, this is all based on his advice. He says, don't leave one in the chamber. Okay, so I, my assailant, will take your advice. I won't leave one in the chamber. Okay, you slid it out of battery. I pull it back. I shoot you in the chest. You fucking die. That's very simple. Like there was a gentleman named Kenji. Kenji went to his facility and the only reason he was allowed to film was because Kenji had to lie and say he didn't have that much experience and he wanted to send the footage back to his parents. He had to say, hey, I want to send this footage back so they can see me train. And then what did Kenji do? As soon as Dale Brown went to go do the disarm, pulls the gun back to his chest, shoots Dale Brown six times, I do believe with the airsoft gun. Why? Because that's a very natural response. Not everything is clean cut. Last little thing about Dale Brown that also irritates me. They do not spar. There is no pressure testing in that facility. He himself has said this multiple times. So if you can't pressure test it, and there's a magic trick of me telling you what the response is, in your head, you are now being brainwashed to complete utter bullshit, and you will believe it till the day you die, because no one is going to actually try that shit when a real gun's pulled on you. Uh, no, you, know what, no, no. you know what step one to gun defense is when there's a gun in your face? Step one, shit your pants. Step two, you make it up as you go. Like that's how gun defense is going to really work. And so it's always fascinating to me, the cult of Dale Brown and how he can do no wrong by his followers. Like, you know, he's full of shit, right? And they'll never say, they'll never admit that. It's fascinating. So my question to you, you're in a UFC fight. Who's cornering you, Dale Brown or Steven Seagal? Fuck, that's tough. (laughs) You know what? you know, at least I think I think Steven Seagal would at least tell me to front kick somebody. He will take credit for knowing the technique. You're <laughs> like, like, yo, man, you remember that thing I showed you? I was like, you mean the thing I learned when I was 12 when I first started? Yeah, the thing I invented. Whenever you go in there, I want you to do me a favor. Use that technique. And then I'll take credit for it at all the uh, post-fight interviews. You do it, brother. I'm like, all right, because <laughs> I was going to do that anyway, but cool. Dale Brown would be like, all right, whenever he pulls the gun out, I'm like, it's UFC, dumbass. Like, all right, so, all right, so let's say he doesn't have a gun. I want you to increase your survivability by eye gouging him. Like, I thought you don't fucking train MMA fighters. Like, you literally make fun of MMA all the time. Like, the dude, like, I don't, I'm going Seagal. I'm going Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> going Seagal. That's well, like, a good well, option. Since, since we're talking about gun defenses and like martial arts, like, you brought up, up an important point so i was at a seminar with like a gracie and he was telling the story so he's on the beach beach in rio and somebody pull say people ask him like hey have you ever used you know so like has somebody ever pulled a weapon on you have you ever used jiu-jitsu before and he's like yeah he's on me they're like okay so what happened he's like so i was on the beach of rio and uh somebody who you know they wanted money they're desperate they pulled a gun on me and they're like, and they're like, wow, like everybody's like, wow, oh my God, they're all shocked. Like, what happened? Like, what did you do? Did you use jujitsu? They're like, yes, I did. What I did was I used jujitsu to calm my ass down and give them my wallet. Just <laughs> 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 stay calm like and it. give them my wallet. <laughs> I like it. That's solid advice. You know, like life is not a kung fu movie no matter how much we would love for it to be life is not a fantasy in real life there are consequences to learning shit that is subpar you're always going to fall back to your training i have heard this from people from an elite level i've heard this from people who were only purple belts 
I've heard this all over the world in all kinds of different martial arts. You will fall back on your training. And I've experienced that myself. I had my first full contact. I, well, I had my first actual tournament when I was 12, but my first full contact boxing match was when I was 15. And I used to fight at this club called Plush. And Plush was a nightclub that did smoker fights. And anybody who's old enough to know what a fucking smoker fight is, it was basically a fight that they would have put a ring in the middle of a nightclub with no real sanctioning body or rules whatsoever. And then you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. Um, some smoker fights happen in gyms, but this particular smoker fight happened in a nightclub. And the first person I fought was 30-something years old, and I was a 15-year-old child. This dude was a fucking crackhead-looking dude because we wound up weighing the same. And uh, I remember distinctly being nervous as fuck the very first time I fought there. I remember stepping onto the scale. Miss Connie, who was my instructor's um, wife uh, before he passed away, rest in peace. He died two years ago of cancer. Um, but he was my, my first instructor's wife, and now she's a, a timekeeper for the State Athletic Commission. But back then, she used to help weigh people in. And the only reason I was even allowed in that building to fight in these fight nights was because my instructor was the promoter. And he told me very specifically, he said, you can fight, but you have to fight first, and then you have to leave. And so I did, until eventually it became, hey, we need you to help take down the ring at the end of the night. And then I could stay all the all I wanted because no one else wanted to fucking take down the ring at 3 a.m. So, like, I wind up, like, basically growing up, like, as a teenager, my, my teenage years were spent in this nightclub fighting on Friday nights. And so I remember that particular night stands out to me because I stepped on the scale. I think I weighed 145 at the time. And I asked Miss Connie, I said, who am I fighting? She goes, oh, he's right behind you. And I remember turning around and he laughed in my face. This fucking 30-something-year-old dude laughed in my fucking face because I was a kid. And I, it scared me. It scared the fuck out of me because, like, I had no confidence. And so uh, right beside that room where you weighed in, there was stairs that led down to, like, double doors to where we would load the ring. But it was the only quiet place where I could work out and warm up without eyes on me because we only had one fighter's area that night or ever there. <laughs> there was only one fighter's room. So it was tense as fuck. And it smelled like shit because there was only one bathroom in there and all the fighters who were nervous were shitting in that bathroom. So I said, fuck that. <laughs> I'm going to go warm up down these stairs. So I'm warming up down the stairs. I'm getting ready, right? I'm working on, you know, trying not to shit my pants because I'm terrified. And then I hear clear as day somebody on their phone in that hallway, because again, down this little area was fairly quiet in the club. And they said that they were talking to whoever they were, their girlfriend or their fiance, that they had just won their fight. And in my head, I'm like, it's bullshit. Like, I'm the first fucking fight, and I haven't fought yet. And so I, I remember looking up, and it was that guy. He was on the phone with his girlfriend or his wife or whatever, and he had already said he won. And in my head, something fucking flipped. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> you ain't winning tonight. And so <laughs> I, I wound up getting in the ring with all the confidence in the world. But once the bell rang, it was like, it was, I, I lost all that. He ran across the ring. He charged at me. I fucking covered like in a standing fetal position, he's wailing on me. And I just ride it out as best I could. I don't throw any shots back. My eyes were closed. I was fucking scared. I was a kid in a nightclub. I remember uh, he was hitting me and I stepped back into someone's fucking drink. Like that's how rowdy the club was. Like people were leaning on the fucking, the, the canvas with drinks, smoking cigars, hence the name uh, Smoker Fights. And somewhere in that, he stopped hitting me. So I looked up and he's, he's literally standing in the middle of the ring with his hands on his knees, gasping for air. He burned himself out. 
because he wasn't a fighter. Anybody could sign up for these fucking things. And I remember looking over and one of my instructors was the referee and he looked like, like, what the fuck are y'all doing? And he's like motioning for me to fight. Like, what are you doing? Like, fucking fight. And I remember taking a big step, cocking my hand back and swinging as hard as I could with a right cross down the middle. And he just happened to look up and I broke his nose, like right off the bat. It was like squeezing <laughs> a fucking tomato. It like, it, <laughs> it, it started bleeding. And he didn't answer the bell, thank God. <laughs> he didn't answer the bell. And I remember going into the back fighters area and he was over a giant black trash can, like fucking hemorrhaging, vomiting into the <laughs> trash can. And his nose was definitely broke because his eyes were very black. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what the fuck happened with that guy that night. Cause he like, he blatantly lied that he won. He's going to be like, you should see the other guy or whatever. But it was, it was like one of those moments where I realized why I was doing what I was doing. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to win fights and I wasn't doing it for anybody's entertainment. I was doing it because I wanted to know how my adrenaline would act in a moment of duress. Could I do the things that I was practicing under pressure? And when you take those things away and you start teaching an art that does not put you in those type of stressful situations, what are you really teaching people other than a false sense of security? You have not put them under duress. You have not got their adrenaline up. You have not put them in a situation where they could lose, which is important as well. Those lessons are learned. Every tap, every submission, every time you get hit, you learn a lesson from that. When you take that away from people, you're really doing them a disservice for self-defense. Because in real life, when someone's really trying to hurt you and they don't give a fuck about your well-being, you're going to look back and you're going to go, fuck, I made a mistake. But by that time, it's too late. You're not going to keto your fucking way out of that. You're not going to Tai Chi your way out of that. You're going to go, fuck, I made a mistake. And you don't want to regret in the moment of duress. You don't want to regret when it's your life or your ass on the line. Mm. And so when I look at people like Adele Brown, I think, what a fucking disservice. What a disservice you're doing to people. What, like, what kind of scam are you running right now to where you're not allowing them to spar? You're, you're not allowing them to be under duress. You're not allowing them this opportunity of growth. It, it just baffles me to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I have a question because like you have a documentary that you're either still working on or is it completed now? Like when's that coming out? How has the filming been going? Like, if, like how big is the documentary going to be? Well, I'm actually, you're the first podcast I've been able to talk to about this. So I'm really fucking excited. I've talked about the documentary before, but like we've had something recently come up, which is really exciting. So we filmed it, all of it last year for the first three months of last year, January through March, we filmed it all. Um, we actually have enough for like a docu-series with the amount of footage that we have. Awesome. The problem is, is that we filmed it during COVID. Mm -hmm. So like some of the con artists and the frauds that we filmed, we had to film via Skype because one, we only raised $20,000. If you're trying to feed and pay and house a group of people, like we had six people on our employment who were doing it mm -hmm. and all of them get hourly rates. All of them have to get paid for editing time. All of them we had to house whenever we would go somewhere. So like we spent that 20,000 quick as fuck. Um, but I pulled out my own to finish what we had. And so we, we started like basically stumbling our way through the project. Like, okay, well, we got it filmed. Now what? Well, do we take it to somebody with a concept or do we edit it ourselves? Or, you know, should we, should we try to put a pitch deck together and see if somebody just wants the footage or do we make a, a documentary or docu-series? Well, what would those things look like? So it took us a while to figure out that process. And we eventually started going down the route of, well, fuck that. Like, I know a lot of people. 
So like, I hate calling in favors, but this is the time to call in a favor. I'm gonna call in a favor. And so uh, a homie named Jonathan Sadowski has been like the savior of this fucking thing. And he does sex life on Netflix. Um, he also okay. did the, the movie um, 8-Bit Christmas. Uh, he was in the movie, uh, uh, what the fuck, the movie where they're selling fucking used cars. It's a, just a comedy. But the dude's been around for a long time in the industry. And he's also a fan of the page and does jujitsu. And so over the years, we built a relationship. So I called on a favor. I was like, look, man, we're having a hard time figuring out the next steps. And so he hooked us up with our now director and our director kicked the door open for us. And so now we're in talks with a company called UTA. And I also spoke with the guys over at Dick House. And if anybody's not familiar with what Dick House is, Dick House is the production company that does Jackass. And so I had a meeting with Johnny Knoxville and Jeff Tremaine. Um, they were interested in the film, but we, we talked in November and their film was coming out in February. So we kind of had to give them space to be able to prepare for their film and for them their release. And so we're coming back to the table with them after we get done with UTA. And so what UTA has said is that they'll give us $800,000 for reshoots and additional shoots for to make the movie we originally wanted to make. That's amazing. Uh, and so right now that means that whenever we get the green light, which we're almost in green light now, fucking pray to whatever God you pray to, because I'm praying to all of them. Uh, I don't discriminate. Uh, whoever's down to listen, I'm down. Uh, but when it comes comes down to it, once that happens, we'll be able to go to Indonesia, which I post about a lot and show like how crazy the world can get when this stuff goes unchecked. We'll, we probably won't be able to go to China because of the shit that's going down with Russia right now and the fact that China might invade Taiwan. Shit's a little tricky, but we'll be able to go to a lot of these people that we already interviewed and re-interview them in person. And now that we already have these original interviews, which we were very polite with, I could be rude. I can tell them what I really fucking think about them. I can really challenge these people to test their metal. I can say, you think you can knock somebody out by chopping it in the bicep? Here's my fucking bicep, chop away. Um, but in the documentary, we already had one fraud, um, which we set up for a seminar. And I don't know if you guys want to hear a little bit about what we filmed already, but I actually have a fantastic story that's going in the movie, um, which we have filmed. Sure, if, if you want to share it, absolutely. I'd love to hear it. All right, so... We hired a guy who does the George Dillman system, which is something called Kyoshu Jitsu. Now, George Dillman isn't the only guy who has done Kyoshu Jitsu, but he is like the most prolific one that you can think of. Like people know that George Dillman thinks he can knock people out with his mind. Um, so this guy is under one of his instructors. And we saw him online and we were like, holy fuck, we think we can get this guy to come in and teach us something. And then my producer was like, yo, relax. He goes, we can do better. And so he's talking back and forth with him. And then eventually he's like, do you want to do a private lesson or a seminar? I was like, oh, we're doing a seminar. I was like, <laughs> I a seminar. I was like, I need witnesses to this shit bad. And so we set it up as an experiment. I got 15 different people, actually technically 16, because one of our cameramen filled in to make it even. But we got 16 different people from all different walks of life. We got them different heights, ages, weights, um, martial arts backgrounds. I mean, we had one of uh, Andre Galvo's female black belts in there. We had a uh, Krav Maga instructor going to Krav Maga school. We had a guy there who had 20 years of capoeira experience. Uh, you know, all these different people from all these backgrounds showed up. And I gave them one very simple idea for the way the experiment will work. It's a two-hour seminar. So I told them for the first hour, go with anything he says. Whatever he says, just go with it. We'll pretend it works. And of course they did because it was all bullshit. So we all had to pretend. 
I told them after that first hour, be yourself. I'm not going to tell you to attack the man. I don't want you to assault the man. I don't want you to do anything you wouldn't normally do, but I'm not going to stop you from any of that either. You do what you feel comfortable in doing what you would normally do in this situation. And so for the first hour of the seminar, he winds up teaching us all this like pressure point, like re revival stuff. Like if you ever watch my page, the set them up, cross their legs, slap their back, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so medically complete dog shit like we talked to doctors and acupuncturists like we already did all of our research and so like we already knew this was coming so he does that for the first hour and so as that hour was coming to a close I walk over I tell everybody all right just it's time like you can be yourself now and man first hour this dude's bone dry wearing a white t-shirt bone dry within five minutes of the second hour he is profusely sweating because he's nervous he hasn't done anything physical but people are asking him all these questions that anybody who, who knows what they're doing would have no problem answering. And so eventually, because he's asked so many questions, he gets asked, well, or he makes a statement and he says, all right, well, since I'm getting asked so many questions, it's kind of not making it so that way I can get to my lesson plan. Why don't we just mix it up and you guys tell me what you'd like to learn? And so somebody goes, what about a knife attack? And he gets so fucking excited. He's like, oh, okay. And he goes over to his bag and he pulls out a plastic training knife, pretty standard. He comes up to the front of the class and he hands the knife, ironically enough, to the only guy who's never trained, one of our camera dudes who we had to have fill in for the blank space. <laughs> and so the, he hands the knife to the guy and he doesn't know this. He, he is under the impression that none of these people really have any experience whatsoever, or if they do, slight. And so he hands the knife to the guy and he goes, all right, guys, well, what kind of attack are we talking about? Like a downward stab or like an upward prison shank? And somebody goes, upward prison shank. And so he goes, okay. <laughs> and so he tells our camera guy, he goes, all right, I want you to stab me like that, right? And I'm going to try to stop it. So our cameraman can, starts trying to stab him and he takes his knuckles like this and like an X block shape and he starts trying to hit downward and uses knuckles to hit pressure points in our cameraman's arm to make him drop the knife during that attempt our cameraman stabbed him 17 times <laughs> so then after that someone someone in the audience because now they're allowed to be themselves ironically enough the same guy who actually runs my apparel uh matt over at epic roll uh he he, he was there because i had to get him there i was like dude you got to be here for this and so he was like i can't win and so he goes, wouldn't this work better? And he walks up to our camera guy and does like a two-on-one grip on the knife arm. And sure enough, our cameraman cannot stab him with that hand. And so everyone clearly can see that this is a better option. And he goes, wouldn't this work better? And the guy who's teaching the seminar goes, no, no, no. Like, well, what are you going to do after that? And like, Matt's like, well, I could do a lot of things after this because I just don't want to stab. And so like, this is legit a better option. So the guy goes, what I would do is I want to get close and I want to smother him. And so he does. <laughs> bum rushes our fucking cameraman. He bum rushes him and grabs him around the waist. And then he starts monologuing like a fucking supervillain to the fucking the, the audience. As you can clearly see, I have complete control of the assailant, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, our cameraman does the greatest thing he could have ever done on film. He pretends to stab him in the back. He doesn't touch him. So the guy doesn't know he's getting stabbed. So like as you can clearly see, like a and meanwhile, our cameraman's like, eh, dah, dah, dah. we counted these stabs. During that monologue, he got stabbed over 48 times Jeez. in the back, or would have been. <laughs> so then someone in the audience sarcastically, and this is where things like where what I do is funny, but also gets really dark real fast. 
someone in the back of the audience does something sarcastic and says, what happens if you get stabbed in the back? <laughs> like, clearly, like, he's getting stabbed in the back. And he straight up says, it's not that bad if you don't see the blood. Now, you have to remember, this guy does not know these people train. This guy is legitimately giving a seminar. This is all his real thoughts. Now, we filmed in Compton. The only gym that we can get on such short notice was happened to be in Compton. And so everybody who showed up was waiting on their class. And we had already discussed with the owner, please make sure they don't interrupt. We're well aware that this is going to be nonsense and they're going to want to say something, but please don't let them. In the experiment, we have to let him be him. We can't interrupt. And so, but one of our cameramen kept seeing a guy whose like body would not stop reacting to the stupid shit this guy was saying. And so once he says that, our cameraman was already zoomed into him, knowing that he was going to do something, and his jaw just fucking hits the floor. He was like, like a fucking cartoon character. He could not help but react. And so the scary part is, is that it's funny when you talk about it, because it's really fucking funny. <laughs> but imagine how scary it is that somebody would believe that. Like someone would take him for his word and say, well, you know, I can, I can afford to get stabbed in the back, because I don't see the blood, it won't be that bad. So we proved this, we proved this theory because I myself made up an entire martial art. I made up an entire website. All the quotes we put on the website were completely made up by me. The martial art was made up by me. All the information about the art was made up by me. And it was just a landing page with all the information about this fake martial art. And we made a seminar. And so we got people who had never trained martial arts before to take my seminar, this made up seminar. And when they showed up, none of them had trained martial arts before. We did like little interviews ahead of time and stuff like that. And then when they showed up, I did the opposite. I taught them bullshit on purpose for an hour. And then the second half, I taught them legitimate technique. And so for the first half, I just made shit up quite literally the entire time. All I did for the curriculum was I watched three different movies and stole techniques from those movies that I know don't work. I watched Under Siege 2. I watched Enough with Jennifer Lopez and uh, Miss Congeniality uh, were the three movies that I watched where they teach self-defense. And then we experimented with these techniques and I tried to see if they would work and none of them really do. One was a standing wrist lock. All you had to do was pull your hand away. The other one was the, the sing from Miss Congeniality, the, you know, the nose growing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the last one was, um, oh, under, uh, uh enough with jennifer lopez where they build up the special technique the entire movie and then when she really does it like it literally is like maybe half a second frame like so i had to go and watch that movie and freeze frame to see what she did with her legs for this like sweep and i'm like that's the reason that they fucking didn't show it because it's bullshit like her legs aren't like doing what they're supposed so i taught this to people i wanted to see if i can fool them and i told them hey after this first hour i know a lot of you might have to leave early um, just go ahead and let's do the testimonials now. So whenever it's time for you to leave at the end of the seminar, you can leave. So we broke for a water break. Um, and I digress on one part. Before the water break, I did a pressure point knockout on my cameraman to see if they would fall for it. So I like slapped him in his forehead and he fucking goes back and I sit him up, cross his leg, slap his back. And they were so convinced by that point that I had really knocked him out that after the cameras were not even looking at them, like they, we still got some of it on camera for sure of them like worrying about him, but they did not stop asking if he was okay. They really thought I knocked him out because I gave him some, some pseudoscience bullshit that I just made up. And I was like, as you can clearly see, the pressure points here lead to the fucking gallbladder meridian and blah, blah, blah. 
And the next thing you know, they bought it. They just fucking bought it. At the end of the hour, I said, all right, guys, go and get your water. And if you don't mind, our cameramen are going to ask you for some testimonials. Every one of them, every one of them, not only gave me a good review, they gave me a raving review. We're talking like people were like, I've never done martial arts a day in my life, but I feel so much safer now. I feel like any of these techniques could help me in a street altercation. And then after the hour, they sat down and I was dumbfounded. I didn't think they were going to buy this bullshit, but they bought it. And so I was like, all right, guys, well, what if I told you everything that I taught you was complete made up? I just made it up. They argued with me for 10 minutes that it worked. That's how deep into it they were involved. So all it took for me to brainwash a group of people was to literally watch three fucking movies, make up some pseudoscience bullshit, and they were so hooked, they argued with me that it worked. I had to go through each technique one by one and tell them, like, for instance, a sweep. Like, they all fell down, right? And I was, like, dumbfounded by that because it's not a real sweep. So I had to tell them. They were like, I fell down. It worked. I was like, all right, cool. Do me a favor. When I try to do it to you, just put your foot down. And every one of them, oh, I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, really? Uh, but, you know, like, that's how easy it is to manipulate people in an industry that they know nothing about because they're putting you on this pedestal immediately. All this trust and all the, the things that come with martial arts, honor and integrity and respect, they give that to you without you earning it. And that's the scary part about putting people on pedestals. What if they don't deserve it? What if they haven't earned that? You're just gonna give it to them? And so the whole documentary up to what we have so far is absolutely dumbfounding. Um, and I can't wait for people to see it because I really think people are gonna learn a lot about how easy it is to manipulate people, how easy it is to be had by a fraud, um, and just how many crazy people there are in this world. For the additional filming, all I'm gonna do is just go confront people with that money. I'm just gonna be like, all right, prove it. Like, I'll throw down, like I'm out of shape. Like I'm not in the best shape at all. I'm mediocre at this shit, but I will still slap you in the face with my dick. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Aaron, I think we're going to wrap up. Spirit Leap Waterdown, 64 Hamilton Street, North. <laughs> Go get some CBD and THC and get slapped in the face by dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I get that. That's what I wanted to ask you. So like, obviously... We're still so now you have all this new funding, which is going to be amazing to add into that documentary. So obviously, like, what's the next step for you? Is it really just kind of pushing for the documentary, get that out, and then obviously building more awareness for what you've been talking about this whole time? Yeah, for sure. Like, um, you know, I when we first started doing this again, we didn't have a map or a guide to understand how to make a film right off the bat, and so that's been trial and error. But what we came up with, and we really hope this is the case, is. We were talking about doing a docu-series. We don't think that's the best way to go to start because we think there's so much content it would almost be impossible to put in a docu-series. Mm -hmm. So what we thought was, all right, let's come out with the documentary and let's cover as many bases as we can. And then what we'll do is make a series after that if it's successful. And then I'll just go to fraud, to fraud, to fraud, to fraud. And that'll just be my life. I mean, it's been what my life is right now. And so I'd be more than happy to do that. And I... You know, with the way that things are now, it's not like it used to be. How it used to be is you had to go through a, a company and the company had to back you. And if the numbers didn't show that things were getting better or they weren't stabilized or they weren't doing great, that they would just cut you off and you would no longer have a show. Once I get my foot in the door now, I could literally do this for the rest of my life. 
and have independent backing without the need of some major company. And I could spend my entire life dedicated like James Randi, like rest in peace, James Randi, for anybody who doesn't know, he spent his entire life debunking frauds. He walked around with a million dollar check in his pocket and he died with that check in his pocket to anybody who could prove supernatural abilities. And so I think that's what I'd like to do with my life. I think I'd like to travel the world and debunk frauds and hopefully make that kind of an impact to where people are not only doing what they're supposed to be doing in the industry, but they are absolutely fucking terrified they'll wind up on my page. Absolutely scared that if they slip up and they molest a kid, they get a little too involved with a student and wind up being sexually inappropriate, they wind up hurting someone, they wind up doing some shady shit that they know for a fucking fact that it will pop out the fucking bush like a goddamn boogeyman and snatch them up and make sure that that shit doesn't happen to anybody else. You know, I think, Rob, you're doing very important work. I think it's great to have the community, have a sheriff like you out there. I'll be honest with you. Like, and I think that more stuff needs to be called out like, like what you've been saying. And we do appreciate you obviously doing that for us. I mean, and, and last little note, because I know we've been on here for a while and I know I can get long-winded. Um, but the last, the last little thing is, is like, it's not supposed to be about me. Like, no one should give a fuck who I am. It should be about the idea. The concept is keeping martial arts legitimate, keeping martial arts away from people who do not belong in that industry, keeping it away from people who are frauds and phonies and con men without having a governing body intervene. We shouldn't have that because if we have a governing body intervene, that will be the corrupt thing. That will be the thing that will fuck things up. What we need is all the individuals to all be on the same page about what bullshit really is mm -hmm. and what we should all not tolerate. And if we could do that, I mean, we martial artists can't argue about shit. <laughs> like, can't, I mean, they can't agree about shit. You know, like, that's Taekwondo, that's bullshit. Oh, that's Jiu-Jitsu, that's gay. Like, martial artists have a hard time coming together. But we can all agree that pedophiles should not be in the industry. We can all agree that people should not physically harm their students to make sure that those people are safe and they're learning safely. We can all agree that people should not be frauds and putting people in financial destitute because they took all of their money. Like we should all be able to be on the same page about that at least. And I think hypothetically, I'll find out when I'm like 90, if I did anything right. But I think that if we can all steer the ship in the same direction about what we don't want, then that'll get us a step closer to making it what we do want. Very well said. Rob, it has been a pleasure with having you on the show. I really do appreciate you taking time away from everything you're doing and joining us today. Thank you so much. Anything else you'd like to say before you take off? No, man. Like, I'm, I'm not like that. You don't need to thank me, man. Like, I'm just a dude that fucking hates frauds and loves martial arts. And I always said that I do absolutely anybody's show whoever asked. I'll answer every direct message I ever get, even though that's a nightmare sometimes. So if anyone's listening and I haven't answered your message yet, send me another one. It'll go to the top of my list and I'll be able to get to it quicker. But, um, you know, like I, again, I just appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to have a platform to discuss what I do, because I think a lot of times what I do is misunderstood. Um, and I think that sometimes people learn a lot more about the goal of what I do when we just have these conversations. Yeah, no, awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, everybody.